hypocrite. When we hear this word, we think of someone whose speech and behavior are contradictory, like a parent who smokes, telling his child not to start smoking. If we were to attend a Seahawks game, and someone came out to coach on the sideline for Seattle, wearing a 49ers jersey, we would boo him off the field, even if he claimed to be in the Seahawk camp. Likewise, when we hear about a politician who speaks out against corruption and then is convicted of ties to organized crime, we are astounded that he could fool us so easily. When we hear the instruction not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain, we often think of swearing and cussing, but is this really what it means? How about taking the name and reputation of God, calling ourselves Christian, and then living like the devil. The call from Ephesians in this study is for those who claim to be Christian to behave in a manner pleasing and glorifying to God. Three questions. Are you a true Christian? Are you claiming to be one? Are you living like one ought to live? Hello, and welcome to God's Word for You for today from Liberty Lake Church. This is part 15 in the series called Ephesians, God's Cosmic Plan, King Jesus, His Church, and You. So take out your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and follow along with Pastor Shane Freeze on loan this summer from His Place Church as he relates some of his struggles to illustrate our call in the session titled, Walking Worthy. Well, if I'm not a familiar face to you, um, I apologize. Uh, my name is Shane Freeze, and I've been helping out with uh, music for the last few weeks, and uh, it is really a joy for me uh, to... I feel like I'm ringing just a little bit, Gary. Uh, it's a joy for me to have this Sunday off from leading music. Um, I've actually been up at camp all last week, playing my guitar and uh, trying to sing with no voice because it's amazing what happens to your voice at camp with middle schoolers. And uh, I, I was even trying to hide out and not talk to them, which is really odd for me, and I don't do that very well. Um, so I lost my voice at the end of day one. And uh, day two, I had other worship people up singing, and I was up front doing this without a lot coming out. It was great. Um, but I got to tell you, there's something really, really special about having about 65 middle schoolers singing at the top of their lungs, and, and where it's just, it's almost overwhelming the stage with volume. And that is just, it's an incredible thing. Uh, and so I've really had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, but in the midst of that, I've been reading and studying God's Word and preparing, I hope, uh, for Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Um, but I want to I wanna do a real quick illustration, and I'm going to need some participation in this process, okay? So, and, and I want to say, let me say first off, I'm going to share with you uh, a personal conviction that God's been working on me this week f with, and if it bothers you, I'm going to leave that between you and the Lord. So if, if what we share this morning uh, impacts your heart in any way, I'm going to assume that's God doing his thing, and I'm just going to share with you what he did in my heart this week, and uh, uh, kind of a confession I had to make even as I was studying his word. So here's, here's my illustration. 
Um, I would like for you to share with me, I'm not going to say a word for just a minute, and Jacob, you're not allowed to say anything at this point, uh, what my favorite uh, brand of car is. Any, any ideas? You guys can't say anything either. Ford, how come? Why would you say Ford? Oh, wow, I look like an American. Yes. <laughs> now, if, if I were to put my hat on, which I wear this all over the place, and many times I'll have my shirt on that says Ford as well. Um, and I don't do this to cause fights. I really don't. But if I were to be walking into a, a place like this, getting out of my Ford truck, and were to say to you, man, I love Chevys, what would you say to me? <laughs> why, why wouldn't I buy one? Why would I wear something that represents a different company, right? Uh, now, you need to understand, let me qualify this by saying, I drive Fords, and we primarily own Fords, mostly because I have had them most of my life, and I know how to work on them. It's not because I think that somehow they are better in some way than other manufacturers' vehicles, okay? I just want to qualify that. So at the end of the service, I, we're not in a 25-minute debate about which one's better, all right? Because I realize I just stepped on somebody's feelings because we're very passionate about our vehicles. Oh, I can see it. I really do enjoy Fords, um, but it's because I know how to work on them. Anybody been stranded by their favorite car? Yeah, if you drive it long enough, you will, I promise. Um, God has used in my life uh, vehicles as a great learning tool and uh, a great point of education in my life uh, for some of the words we're going to actually look at today. Um, so, but today we're in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll look at, we're going to talk a little bit about my illustration there in just a moment. Would you turn with me in your Bibles, um, if you have them? Uh, I, I got to tell you, I didn't put all the scriptures into PowerPoint. Um, I didn't actually give them to our poor PowerPoint guy until this morning uh, because uh, I was at camp and I really didn't think about it. Uh, but the spiritual side, it sounds better if I say that I'd rather have you read it out of your Bibles. So um, we're going to go with that for this morning. So if you have your own Bible, open it up. It's also a good idea to mark down things that jump out. I really like highlighters and, and to mark it up so that when I go back in, those passages grab me again. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Paul says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body one, and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Would you uh, just pray with me real quick? Father, I want to be um, in line with you this morning. We want to be in line with you this morning. Would you guide this discussion around your word and would you impact our hearts with the truth of your word? And uh, we give you the glory for everything you're doing, and we exalt your name above all other names because you, Lord Jesus, are above all other names. And may that be true in our hearts this morning as we read your word in your name. 
Amen. So I'm caught between us. Uh, I've got a little bit of time, so I'm going to take advantage of this. I uh, want to share just a, a brief history of my life because this will help under, as we talk about the text a little bit, it'll, it'll help under, you understand a little bit who I am. Uh, I grew up in the church. Uh, my real dad left when I was three years old. And my mom uh, found uh, Ralph and Smitty, uh, we called him Smitty, Ralph, uh, I'm sorry, Ralph and Pat Smith, we called Ralph Smitty, but uh, Ralph and Pat Smith uh, in a Safeway uh, shopping market around, I think they were in the vegetables, I don't know, maybe that's why I don't like them um, much. But she was crying over her cart with three little kids in a full back brace. She was hobbling around. Uh, I guess back their, their recovery surgery stuff back then was a whole lot different than it is now. And she had back surgery after each one of us kids. And so my dad left a few months before my brother was born. And so she's in this full body cast from right about her hips all the way up to her shoulders, um, trying to get three kids through the supermarket and and get her stuff done. And so she's out of her cart crying, and Ralph and Pat Smith show up and invite her into church. And we uh, started our life in Charter Oak Evangelical Free Church back in Vancouver. Now, I was three years old, and I've been in church, yep, for the rest of my life. Um, do you know that I have, in that process, I've experienced some great moments, uh, and I've experienced some really ugly moments. Uh, I don't know if you have found the, the life in church to be the same way. Um, and so part of my uh, conviction this week is that I have spent uh, many, many years, even in ministry, kind of being angry at the church. Does that sound horrible? Yes, it does. It's okay. <laughs> I'm confessing. It's, that's a horrible place to be. Uh, as a pastor, to, to be angry at the, at the process of the church, to be angry at people in the church, um, and to think to myself at times, there could have been a better way. And so as I've been wrestling with this text in all of Ephesians, actually, um, God has really been convicting my heart that I'm not seeing the value that he sees in his body in his process, in what he's designed the church to be. Um, and when I don't see the value in something, it's hard for me to really value it. Now, I realize that's a simple statement, but think about it. If I didn't see the value in my vehicles, would I continue to dump tons and tons of money into them? No. This will be a responsive process today. <laughs> Not sure. Maybe I should have warned you about that too. I was a youth pastor for 11 years. Please feel free to answer. We don't invest in things we don't see valuable, do we? No. Why? Because if they're not valuable to us, we don't invest in them. It's just how we work. Uh, how many of you believe that being healthy is really, really important? Right. I believe it up until the point you ask me to give up certain things. I am in 100% agreement with you and think the value of that is epic until you ask me to give up, I don't know, Snickers or something else healthy. Or not, Wait, that's the other. That's the, anyway, you get it, right? We will invest in the thing that we find the greatest value. 
And here Paul is saying to walk in a manner worthy of the call to which you have been called. That's the first part that we're going to look at in verse 1. And this idea of walk, this is, this is not... Um, this is not a, a, a moment. This is not something that we do like we're training for an event. And so for, for a few hours, I practice and then I go out and run my race. This is a lifestyle. This is the process in which we travel. Uh, one, of the, one of the definitions in the concordance was that it's actually to tread all about. It is how we move in our lives. One of the definitions is how I conduct my life. It would be how we would look at this passage. Um, if you turn in your Bibles to Philippians 1, and again, I, I want to apologize. I didn't get all of these passages up, and so I know they have some notes available, uh, note spaces available for you in the bulletin. So if you need to just jot them down, go ahead, and then you can look at them later as well. But if, Philippians chapter 1, Only let your manner of life, uh, 127, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And Colossians 2, 6 through 10. Paul says this in Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul's challenge to us is, and he, and he does this in other places, that, that's just two of the places that he t challenges the church to walk in a manner worthy. And, and the idea of worthy here is that it, it's, it's a value, it's establishing value. So if I'm walking in a way that establishes value, I do this. I say, I value the car I drive. I'm so proud of the car I drive, I'm willing to actually get into a debate with other people that have a different view than me because for some reason wearing this hat means I want to argue. You guys know that, right? <laughs> when, I, when I live and walk in a way that establishes value for something, other people see it. And it becomes an identity for who I am. They know what I value by how I live, by what I do. My wife, um, I, I had this incredibly huge mistake. And I'll share this. Well, I, I tend to share my failures with, with you. So um, if you can identify with this, you might want to just not roar and clap. But uh, we were moving out here. And uh, I'm being logical, right? We're, we've got a small amount of vehicle space. We've got too much stuff, which that never happens after you've been in a spot for a few years. And in my mind, I'm thinking, my wife is a logical person. She wants things done in an orderly fashion. So why in the world would we move our oak table, the kitchen table, which I kind of conveniently forgot it was the first 
piece of furniture that we bought as a married couple. And it was mostly destroyed because we'd raised four boys eating on it. I mean, the holes and the gouges and the things that were in this table, it, it really wasn't in great shape. And on top of that, the people that were buying our house really wanted it because it fit in the house perfectly. So here's where I went. I went, I'm brilliant. We will sell the table here because they wanted to buy it and we'll buy her a new table when we get to Spokane. Now, as you can imagine, uh, that did not go well for me. <laughs> right? And what I, what I realized in the process of talking with my bride is that I had devalued her connection to her children and her family and all those things, and, and I ran way off ahead of her without even talking to her about it. And so the people were really excited about having the table, and the, I had found one just like it over here in Spokane. It wasn't going to cost us any money. And Oh, man. What I value reflects in how I live. When I value my wife, she knows it because my life puts her in a place of value. The things I do, the things I think about, the things I say, raises her value. When we are walking in a manner worthy of the call, we are placing value on that call. Now, here's what's really interesting. I grew up in church thinking that this meant that I was supposed to have this uh, incredibly pure walk, and I would use this passage to challenge people and even my own youth in the idea of walking in light of God and, and walking in light of this pure, holy life that we're supposed to walk in. And now, I want to say this. I'm not saying that we're not supposed to walk in that, but that's not what the context of this text is challenging us to walk in. What has Paul been challenging the, through the, the Ephesian church to see about the mystery of God? This mystery that's been revealed to him. It's the oneness in Christ that we are called into out of our dead state. When we are redeemed by Jesus, we are called into this oneness of body. And Paul begins to lay out the way in which we are to live with one another in this amazing uh, uh, text about body life. Did you see uh, in here, as we start into verse 2, uh, he says that we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All of these things are relational things. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I've spent most of my ministry really frustrated with the church. And then I started reading the definitions of some of these words. I don't know how many, of, how, how many of us have really spent time wrestling with what these words mean. But check out humility. Ephesians, or Philippians 2.3. Look at Paul's challenge in Philippians 2.3 about humility. Philippians 2 verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for all of you, making prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. I, that's the wrong passage. 
that's a great passage. And really, you should read that and just follow right on through to verse 27, because 27 is a really good one too, which we looked at earlier. It's, it's supposed to be, I probably have the wrong one. Two, three. No, that's it. Just what I said. Oh man, look at that. So I read one, three. That was all just me. Philippians 2.3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Um, humility, the concept of us doing things uh, for others, not for our own good, but actually lowering ourselves and putting other people above ourselves, above our needs. Um, I, I think it's a little uh, ironic. My bride and I have a spot in our lives now where uh, our children are almost gone. Not That didn't come out right. Um, our children are not around the house as much. Uh, we have a 16-year-old now who's heading off to uh, a running start, and uh, and he's working full-time at Les Schwab during the summer, so we hardly see him, and he's our baby. And the other older ones are pretty much all done with us unless they really need something. So they don't eat at how, the house hardly anymore. I mean, they're just busy and gone. And so Sal and I are, are sitting down on the porch the other day talking about how much we've learned from having children. And one of the things that really jumped out to us was that we didn't know very much about having kids when we started, and that it took away a lot of our arrogance and confidence about knowing how to deal with kids. They, they just like evaporated that. Why? Because I didn't know what I didn't know about raising kids. And suddenly they became a priority above my own life. They became a priority for need for, for all kinds of things. And I, I actually had, God humbled me in the process of being a father. It was especially good because I was a youth pastor. And we don't expect youth pastors' kids to be perfect. Or elders' kids to be perfect, do we? We don't, we don't expect them to be flawless, right? I mean, right? Okay, thank you. Good. <sighs> It's so important that we recognize that. God's process of, of changing how we see life and how we live, it often involves humility. Um, and it involves me becoming less and other people becoming more. And that is really, really uh, tough at times. Partly because I believe one of my great uh, strengths is selfishness and pride. And not in a good way. I'm not. I'm not saying that like somehow that it's a good thing. But for whatever reason, when I when I'm watching what God's doing in His Word and when I'm watching what He's doing in my life, He's so often chipping away at those two things regularly. And uh, I really wish it wasn't true, um, but I'm convinced that it probably is. The second thing that we see here in here is gentleness. Um, check out what uh, the um, Webster Collegiate Dictionary says about gentleness. The quality or state of being gentle, especially mildness of manner or disposition. There's times that we would um, call gentleness weakness, wouldn't we, in our culture? 
Um, because we really, I think we value that that real strong personality that busts in there and gets the job done. Um, I uh, don't like uh, that kind of confrontation. I'm not a confrontational guy. I'm not one of those guys that like, hey, man, there's a problem. Let's jump in there and figure that out. I tend to be more of the guy that goes, hey, there's a problem. We'll see you guys later. <laughs> I, it's just being, I believe God's sovereign, right? Let him deal with them. Uh, and yet, uh, in the job of pastoring, I've had the responsibility of waging or wading into very deep situations. And um, not always nice. But do you know what's really funny about that? There's people that actually think I'm a type A personality. They're like, oh man, you are a, you're a go-getter. You should be doing something more, you know, assertive. In fact, I got raised to manager through Dish Network. Um, sometime I'll tell you the story of how that all happened. Uh, but they put me up to manager because they thought I was a go-getter. And all I really wanted to do was hang out with the people. I, I wanted to be part of the guys and do stuff with the guys. And uh, I didn't make it very long as the Dish Network manager, mostly because what they started demanding of me was such a nitpick, you know, uh, box-checking thing, and I, I lost contact with the guys that I was working with. And I didn't have the ability to interact with them because I was starting to have... I, they wanted me to write them up for not having their tools in the right pockets and their personal tool belts. Are you kidding me? So I kind of lost track of that because that's really not my personality. And I realized that. I, I'm not interested in, in just driving over people and getting the job done. And so I had to reassess what I was doing. Um, but I will tell you that in managing people, it gets kind of hard if you don't have that personality sometimes. Uh, it's a little easier just to go in and go grab second gear, grab third gear, and, and just you know take people with you, whether they're stuck under the car or not. Knowing how I'm wired, though, uh, for me, gentleness is not always uh, a response of strength. Uh, sometimes that can be me cowering. But the value of gentleness is when we come from a position of strength and we actually offer gentleness. Um, as a parent, there's no greater moment than when a father, and I can say this from experience, who is angry because of the result of a situation, and offers gentleness in the correction rather than just harshness. And uh, had the privilege of watching men do that with their kids and really challenge me and how I've dealt with my children. And I was fortunate, I had four of them. Took, God figured it, I needed four to get it figured out. And uh, I'm hoping by the time the grandkids get there, I really have it locked in and I can, I can do this. But it's a beautiful thing when strength offers gentleness. And, and yet, and, and here we're seeing uh, descriptions of who God is, who the character of God is, how Christ dealt with us. i got to continue where I'm, I'm not going to make it through the process uh, that we're doing today. Um, patience, the second or the third word here that we see that Paul's saying that we're going to do this with all of these character traits is patience. Uh, look at this definition I, I pulled out of the Baker's Encyclopedia of the Bible. Um, the ability to take a great deal of punishment from evil people or circumstances without losing one's temper. Okay, failed that one. 
I'm just going to be honest with you. On the, the Thursday night crew know a lot about my personality. And one of the things that God did for me this last year is he has burdened me with a left-hand turn on Idaho uh, and Celtis. I don't know if any of you have been there, but they take two lanes and they turn them into two lanes around a corner. And that is an intellectual Pandora's box for people, I guess. Like they even have lines to tell them where to stay, but they can't figure that out. And it drives me nuts. I have had more angry moments driving to church, wanting to kill people at that corner than I remember in many, many years. And it, 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 it actually it got to this one point where I realized it was actually one of my guys that I knew that was going to church in front of me who just cut me off. And I'm like, oh, I think I know him. Patience. To an, the, this definition is is a little large. The, the the ability to take a great deal of punishment from evil people or circumstances without losing one's temper, without being I, uh, irritated and angry, or without taking vengeance. It includes the capacity to bear pain or trials without complaint, the ability to forbear under severe provocation, and the self-control which keeps one from acting rashly even though suffering opposition or adversity. Now, I will share with you, this with you. I, I use my car illustration a lot, partly because I found that that's the one spot that I'm I guess I'm not afraid of the repercussions of saying it to somebody's face as much. I'm not a big guy, so I don't tend to be really in your face when we're in public because I recognize my spot. I'm more of the irritant. I throw arrows from a distance, right? But when I'm in my car, suddenly I have a power and I've got all of this metal around me that protects me. Uh, and so I share that. I, I, God, there's a lot of illustrations in my life around that, but I share that because it's also safe, right? All of us at some point have some kind of connection. We can go, oh, yeah, I can identify with that. That's a pretty safe thing to share. Um, I don't know if I'm really man enough to share with you when I really lose my patience with my bride or with my family or with other brothers and sisters in the church. That, that might take a little bit more confidence and a whole lot more relationship with, with us, right? Because it, it's sometimes challenging to be that honest. But imagine what Paul's Ephesian church was going through. He's in prison right now. And he's sharing this text with his brothers and sisters in Ephesus who have the risk of imprisonment or death for their faith. And this is one of the words that he uses to describe the church, how the church interacts with one another. And part of the conviction of my heart has been uh, my own frustration and my own, I get maybe it's disillusionment with the body of Christ and, and really been convicted over the last two weeks that I have not seen you or other people in Christ's body as Christ sees you and me. But that I haven't seen you with the same lens that he does. Hopefully we're going to get there. Bearing with one another in love. Agape is by far the most frequently used uh, word for love. And uh, this, the meaning uh, that, that, again, I, got, I grabbed from the encyclopedia here is... Uh, 
to love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. To love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. Another area um, that I know in my own life uh, is a struggle for me. Can I tell you guys, I don't think... Um, start turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, by the way. Uh, I, when I say that it's a struggle for me, I don't know that I display that struggle honestly. Um, how many of you guys are... Well, I won't say it this way. Don't raise your hands. I have spent a lot of my life being very good at playing church, at doing church. I've known what to say. I've known what actions or attitudes were okay to like let me seen. Um, when God took my hair... Um, I lost a lot of self-control, I found out. Uh, because when I get embarrassed or I get mad, it goes, <laughs> like it just beats red. And so God has really exposed my heart at times, not realizing it, um, that, I, that my heart issue is just like right there. So I, I don't, I don't want to, when I, when I say that I struggle with this, I, I want to be careful that you understand. I, I genuinely feel like this is a heart issue for me. Um, and that if we were to be really honest, there's moments where this is a heart issue for all of us. Uh, if we genuinely understood what Christ meant uh, when, when he challenged his uh, the Jews at this time, to live like Christ was going to demonstrate. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Eager to maintain the unity of the bond, unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, to, who Jesus says that he is our peace in Ephesians 2.14. But Jesus challenges the followers at this time, his disciples, as he's giving them his uh, Sermon on the Mount. He says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I, tell, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to he the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I am convinced that we as a body do not understand the value of the people sitting next to us, the people in the next church, the people on our Thursday night service, um, I don't look at Todd and think to myself, well, let me say it this way. I'm trying to change my view because I'm realizing that I'm not looking at the people in the body of Christ the way he does. Jesus says that if I'm angry with one of you, I'm guilty. Wait a minute. You mean my good buddy Dan that cut me off on the at the intersection that I was angry about? I mean, that, that wrecked my morning. I was going to church. And that wiped me out. I think I was even preaching that morning. I don't remember. It was a bad morning. And then it happened on Thursday, I think, as well. Do we see this as being 
Do we see the church, our brothers, being this way? Uh, Jesus continues in, in verses 43 through 48, and he says, You have heard this, that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your Father is perfect. Jesus displays and establishes a pattern that in our world seems backwards, but it's who he is and it's his character. And it's what he did on the cross for you and for me. And he says, behave like that. This is who you are to be. Paul then jumps into uh, this description of the body and this oneness of the body. And I'm, we're not going to spend a ton of time here because uh, I want to I wrap us up um, with the application. What, what does this mean? Uh, the oneness of the body. There's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And, and it is in this body that we are called into. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23 says that we are the body of Christ and that, that, that it is his body that we are being built into. you got to check this out. It is an amazing passage of Scripture, and, and I, I've read over it a few times, but it hadn't grabbed me uh, until this, this, this season of going through Ephesians. Uh, but Ephesians uh, chapter 1. And he says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And it's in this body that we... Uh, that we experience Christ, that we exercise faith, that we learn to love one another, that we learn to, to be humble, gentle, patient, long-suffering, bearing with one another. And I was wrestling through this, and I was sharing the story out of, uh, out of the end of chapter 3. And I grabbed Ephesians, or, uh, Acts 9, where Paul's, uh, Paul's sharing his story about what happened to him and how he was re, you know, redeemed on this miraculous interaction with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And something jumped out to me that I hadn't seen before. It's where so, uh, Jesus says to Saul at the time, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I thought, Saul didn't touch Jesus. What is he saying right there? Wait a minute. He's talking about his church. Jesus says when Saul's harming Christians, that he's persecuting Christ. Do we look at one another that way? Do we see our brothers that are sitting next to us here or our brothers at another church? Do we see them as being the, a, a direct responder to Jesus? If I'm harmful or hateful or doing, doing things in a way that would harm them, that I'm doing it directly to Jesus? I went, oh, wait, but Lord, they don't sing the music I like. They don't like Ford. 
Some of them really harass me about what motorcycle I ride. Some of them I don't get along with very well. Some of them I, I might not even have the time of day for if I met them on the street, I, I, I would do everything I could to not interact with them. And I was really convicted about how I saw the bride of Christ. And how I've felt about the bride of Christ for many, many years. And when I say many, I mean most of mine. And then I saw another passage. Matthew 25, verse 40. I took my glasses off and I can't see. This is the story of the final judgment in Jesus is sitting on the throne and he separates the, the sheep from the goats out of the church. And he says that he offers to let the, the, the sheep in. And they say, and he says to them, you fed me, you clothed me, you cared for me, you did all these things, visit me while I was in prison, you did all these things to care for me. And their response was, Lord, when, when did we do that? And this is Jesus' response in verse 40. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Here's, here's my confession and, and my, um, my conviction. Uh, is that in my own growth and development and selfishness as a young man, uh, I have oftentimes seen the church as being uh, just the extra baggage that came with getting to heaven. Um, one of the one of my worship guys said, "You know what? I think I kind of see it as a spare tire. It's there for emergencies, but we really don't want to use it." And I, I don't know if you can identify with this, but um, the Lord has really convicted me that I'm wrong when my heart interacts that way with His bride. Now, out of that flows all kinds of amazing things. When we begin to see the love of Christ and we begin to exercise the love of Christ, uh, John 13 says that the world will know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. Man. I have to change. I actually have to give up whatever pride it is, whatever selfishness it is that somehow puts me above other people and makes me want my way over what God might be doing. I have to change how I see his bride individually in each of our lives. It means I have to change how I interact with every person that I come in contact with, every person that cuts me off on the road. What if, what if we just imagine that as we're driving, what if that's a child of God? Would we respond differently if it was Jesus in the car? Would we? The disciples didn't when they walked with him. 
You guys, I, I think there's a heart condition that God's trying to get a hold of, and he gave you and me each other to do the process. You and I exist together to learn to die to ourselves, to serve one another, to become more like Jesus with each other. It's his plan. From before the beginning of time, he called us together to be one body, one church, for the purpose of making a holy temple. Ephesians 2, uh, the end of Ephesians 2 says that the whole structure is being joined together to create a holy temple. The whole structure. That word joined, it's the architectural term for chiseling off the sharp edges of a rock. Who wants to volunteer for that? Not me. I want you guys to fit my problems. You guys fit around me perfectly and we'll all be happy. God's plan is for us to be together. For us to hurt one another and to go back and restore a relationship. For us to cry with one another when we're weeping and there's tears to be had. For us to celebrate with one another when there's joy. For us to serve one another so that we would understand better the love of Christ and so that the world would see the light of Christ shown through his bride. Man, I want to get this. I really do. And God has been really convicting my heart that his bride is not an afterthought. It is not the leftover remains of the sinful flesh that we just have to deal with. But it was his plan. And you and I are part of it. Yay? Right? Woohoo! Oh. Jesus said, if we know that a brother has something against us, we should go to them and make it right before we come to worship him. We should fix our relationships with one another. Man, what that's a load of work. But it is good stuff. It's God's plan. And it's what he's meant for us to do. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you, God, that you are gracious and kind and long-suffering with me. Lord, I thank you that you use the weak and foolish things of this world. I am in desperate need of, of you to overhaul my life and how I see your bride, how I interact with your bride, how I be the church rather than just going to church. Father, would you transform our hearts around your word? Would you transform our minds around the truth of your word? that it would begin to impact and change how we see one another right here in this room, how we see our brothers and sisters outside of this room, that, God, we would begin to recognize that they represent you, Lord Jesus. And when I harm them, I harm you. When I love them, I love you. When I serve them, I serve you. Lord, our family at times is a mess. But if you are the sovereign God of the universe that Paul claims you are in Ephesians, if you are the creator of all things as we see Genesis describe, 
You really are the star breather of David's psalms. We would ask for you to transform our hearts that we would see your bride as you see it. And that, Father, we would learn to be your bride as you have designed us to be in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message from Liberty Lake Church in Liberty Lake, Washington. Our pastor, our elders, and our prayer watch team are available to pray with you or to answer any questions you may have. Contact us through www.LibertyLinkChurch.com or follow us on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you and welcome any comments you may have. As always, we appreciate your prayer support. Join us next week on God's Word for You for today for another message from Liberty Lake Church. Thank you again, and God bless.